word. As we continue to look at the Ten Commandments in the Heidelberg Catechism, we're reading, once again, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 17, can be found in your pew Bibles on page 118, looking specifically at the Ninth Commandment, and that is verse 16. We're also going to be looking at Psalm 15 in the Old Testament, and that can be found in your pew Bible on page 853. And then once we've read those, I will instruct you as to what we're going to read in the New Testament. Before we read, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, enlighten us by your Spirit that we may see in your Word life and life abundant. That through the reading and preaching of your Word, we may receive your grace, that we may live before your face as people who are pursuing godliness and holiness as an expression of gratitude for the salvation that we've received. May you, Lord, conform us to the truth, to your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Turning now to Psalm 15, Pew Bible page 853. Reading now, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts, who lends his money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. That's Psalm 15. Our New Testament scripture passage is Ephesians chapter 4. 
verse 17 through 25 can be found in your pew Bible on page 1,821. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 25. And Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Thus is the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're looking at Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 43, in the back of the Psalter hymnal on page 55. Lord's Day 43. And I will say the question and we can read the answer together. What is God's will for us in the ninth commandment? God's will is that I never give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone without a hearing or without a just cause. Rather, in court and everywhere else, I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. These are devices the devil himself uses, and they would call down on me God's intense anger. I should love the truth, speak it candidly, and openly acknowledge it, and I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. That's the teaching of the Catechism. I'm going to... Um, Start a phrase, and then I would like all of you to finish it if you know it, okay? Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But words will never hurt me. It's a phrase. It's a phrase that I heard often when I was being picked on in school. It's fooey. It really is. Words have more power than sticks and stones because unlike sticks and stones that can only hit us outwardly, words go straight to the heart. Reverend Adrian Dileman, in a sermon preached on July 10, 2016, said this, 
Like God, we use words to touch hearts, create trust, form relationships, and build community. Unlike God, we also use words to break hearts, destroy trust, wreck relationships, and divide community. How important are our words? The book of Proverbs has around 90 Proverbs devoted to counseling us about our speech. 90. Proverbs has more to say about our words than about any other subject. And Proverbs 18.21 is one of them. Many of you probably know it. It's a more famous, more well-known proverb. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. We're going to talk about our words tonight, because we're talking about the ninth commandment. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. That commandment is telling us the power of our words to create or to destroy, to bring life or to bring death. So, the first thing we need to learn is to stop telling kids sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Because words do hurt. Our theme tonight is to love truth is to love God and our neighbor. To love truth is to love God and our neighbor. And we're going to look at our passages tonight and the catechism uh, from three points. We're going to look at the power of death in our words. We're going to look at the power of life in our words. And finally, we're going to look at the power of love in our words, okay? So... Let's look at this first point. Our overarching uh, passage is going to be that Ephesians passage, okay? The power of death. Lord's Day 43 says, What is God's will for us in the ninth commandment? God's will is that I never give false testimony. It's the same wording used in Exodus. That I twist no one's words. Gossip. And slander. Condemning. These are all negative words to describe what we can do with what we say. We can give false testimony. We can twist people's words. We can gossip and slander. We can condemn. And this is what brings death. These things are examples of the power of death in the tongue. 
And they correlate to what I like to call the old self. It's what Paul calls it as well. Ephesians chapter 4. We read the first part of our passage tonight, 17 through 22. I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him accordance with the truth. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Put off. An expression of gratitude for the salvation that we received in, in relationship to the ninth commandment is to put off the old self that is connected with the ways of Satan and sin, which aligns with falsehood, lying. To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Not only is the old self corrupted, but it's corrupted by lying desires. So, we of course know that these are the devices of the devil. Jesus himself said, that Satan was a liar from the start. And so when we lie, we participate in something that is satanic. Puts a bit of a different spin on it when you think of it in that way, right? The power of death in our words is all about how closely related our words are to the truth or to falsehood. Now, it's easy to think of this in the abstract, the way we bring death with our words. But I want to think of it in the more concrete sense, because when the Heidelberg Catechism was written, most of the way that people spoke to each other was face to face. But nowadays, we use our words more often online than anything. And there's a disconnect between the way we live in our real lives, reality, and how we act and function online. This has been a proven scientific fact. The reality is people will say things on a Facebook post or in a Facebook message that they would not say to your face. There's a dehumanization that comes from only seeing a little tiny icon of a person's picture rather than seeing a human being made in the image of God. This is important because just as much as the way we use our words 
As we go about our day and we go to the bank and we talk to the teller at the bank or we go to the gas station and we talk to the person working at the gas station or we go to the grocery store and talk to the person at the grocery store, we are a living, breathing witness of Jesus Christ. But often we don't think about how we are a living, breathing witness of Jesus Christ on Facebook. And we are. We are. And I'm going to be 100% completely honest with you. I see a lot of harsh speaking from Christians on social media. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I think that social media is a good thing. I'm not saying that it's all bad. It's like anything. There's good and bad to it. But I honestly don't think that it's the best place for having in-depth conversations about political views. It's like trying to teach math on the playground. It doesn't work. The kind of vitriol that we can have towards each other even to other Christians. It's something we, th- we should think about in relation to the ninth commandment. And sometimes we can we can bolster what we're doing because We believe that we are the bastions of truth. We are the ones that know exactly the way the world should be because we have God's word and we have revelation and and we can bring that truth. Maybe we're not speaking lies on Facebook. We're speaking the truth. But we bring it with a sledgehammer and we hit people over the head with it. As if that's supposed to convince him that Jesus is loving when you beat him over the head with the truth. I want you to understand, I'm speaking to myself too. It tends to be the case that whenever uh, an election year comes around, I just get off Facebook. (laughs) Because it can be difficult. So let's talk about the second point. And that's not even to touch the fact that so much falsehood can be spread online quicker than a wildfire. And as people who are supposed to be lovers of truth, we ought to be careful before we share things. Before we say, hey, look what I saw. Hey, can you believe this? When it's not true. Because as Christians, we are the ones holding up our society by being those who are grounded in the truth. If you want to know what a lot of what is going on in our society right now, it's a dilution, dilution of truth. When was the last time you believed what the news said? When was the last time that you really knew what was being said about COVID-19 was actually legitimate, truthful, 
When was the last time you could trust the sources that were coming to you? Because when everybody has their own truth, when truth is subjective and my truth is different than your truth, society unravels. Because there's not an objective giver of truth. And that's when death happens. That's when unraveling happens. That's when riots happen. That's when unrest happens. Because there are not truths that are anchoring us. And as Christians, we should not be ones who are adding to that disillusionment of truth, but ones who are standing strong upon the truth. Right? So let's look at the power of life. Continuing in the Catechism, it says, I should avoid all lying and deceit of every kind. These are the devices the devil himself uses. Make note that it says, rather in court and everywhere else, because the original context of you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor was the courtroom. But the application is to everywhere. The same way that Jesus makes the application of your neighbor and the Good Samaritan story. What's Jesus' application? Well, everyone's saying, well, only other Jews are my neighbor. Well, only the person who lives next to me is my neighbor. And Jesus' application was, everyone is your neighbor. Therefore, not only in court should we uphold the truth, but if we want the truth to be upheld in the court, we should probably pursue having truth upheld everywhere in all our interactions, right? These are devices the devil himself uses, and they would call down on me God's intense anger. Rather, I should love the truth. Speak it candidly, openly acknowledge it. Guard in advance my neighbor's name. These are ways that we bring life. Look what Paul says, continuing in the passage in Ephesians. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, this is verse 22, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And the first application that Paul makes concerning what the new self should be like, the way we should live if we are living from the spirit, life in the spirit rather than life in the flesh, life in the new self rather than the old self. The old self was crucified with Christ. We now live with Christ in his new life is, verse 25, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we're all members of one body. His application 
is more specifically to the church, members of one body, but it can be extended out to all neighbors. The power of life is in the truth. And the truth, of course, personified is Christ. You got to ask yourself, why is it that God is concerned with our words? And why is it in particular is he concerned with the truthfulness of our words? Well, as often said about the commandments, they are a reflection of God's very own character, his nature. And so we don't commit adultery, not because adultery is bad and we shouldn't do that, which is true. But we don't commit adultery because God is faithful. We don't steal because God is not a thief. And we don't lie because God is truth. He is the objective grounding of all truth. He is where truthfulness is anchored. His word is what we can trust as true. And his truth as revealed in his son Jesus Christ. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Is another way of saying. You shall be. A lover of truth. And to love truth is to love God. In our neighbor. The power of life in our words doesn't mean that we always speak encouragements. doesn't mean that we always speak uh, fluffy, uplifting, inspirational words. But truth hurts. One of my favorite com- uh, commentators, political commentators, says, truth doesn't care about your feelings. And, and I understand that. I understand that, that sometimes living in a world a post-truth, a world that accepts so many lies as reality, that being a lover of truth can be difficult. Being one who speaks the truth candidly can put us in awkward situations and circumstances. To openly acknowledge the truth can be hard. To be called to guard and advance our neighbor's good name when there are things about our neighbor that we don't like or agree with. To be someone who speaks life online when the way that we say a quick thing that we know is going to garner a reaction because it's controversial, because it inflames us because that's the way that we talk nowadays we tweet this and we tweet that there can't be enough time or space for a nuanced conversation about all the many complexities of what's going on we have to have a slogan that being a christian who is a lover of truth in a world like that can cause people to be upset with you when that was not your intention. 
But if we desire a world, a society, if we desire to simply live as those who are grateful for the salvation that we receive, then the way we speak the truth, the way we love the truth, the way we openly acknowledge it should be flowing out of us as part of who we are in Christ now. Paul begins his book to the Romans by saying something that I think is deeply applicable for us today. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. We live in a culture, society today, that it's very easy. It's very easy to be ashamed of the gospel. It's very easy to be ashamed of the convictions that we now hold. Call it what you want. Old-timey, archaic, whatever it may be. Nonetheless, our lives should not be an expression of begrudgingly speaking the truth, squinting and scrunching our face up because, yeah, this is what I believe, but uh, we need to be lovers of the truth. And when it says lovers of the truth, it's not saying my truth. It's not saying my own interpretation of the world around me. It's saying lovers of God's word. And this is important because we can do this as Christians. We can be saying that we're talking about the truth because we hold this conviction or we hold this particular belief or we hold this particular political opinion or whatever it may be. And we say it as if we're saying it's straight from the word of God, but actually, it's just your opinion. So be careful when you speak the truth that you know for sure that what you're saying is grounded in God's revelation. It's grounded in what he has proclaimed, what he's revealed in Jesus Christ, his son. Because when you speak that candidly, when you love that, when you openly acknowledge that, that brings life. Although it may not seem like it at first, that brings life. We've got one final point. And this is where I'm going to bring in Psalm 15. So many psalms in the Old Testament, so many proverbs talk about the importance of truth. Psalm 15 is one of those. And often, as Christians, we can read Psalm 15 and we wonder how it applies to us. Because we know and we understand that we are not perfect, that we're sinners, that we are not always truthful. And this psalm of David begins with a very important question. It says, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? 
who may dwell in the presence of God, who is worthy to stand before him, who may live on your holy hill. In David's time, he's talking about the Temple Mount. He's talking about that place. But, but in, in redemptive history, we, we come to understand that what, God, what David is really talking about is the throne room of God. Who may dwell in your sanctuary? And we all answer the same way to that question. We all answer to that question. The simple answer is not us. Because here's the first requirement. He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur in his fellow man. And you can end that with the word always. Who always does these things. Who continuously does these things. Who perfectly does these things. And there's only one answer to Psalm 15. See, the only way that we can read Psalm 15 as a psalm for us is if we understand that who it's speaking about is Jesus. The one who is truth. The one who can dwell in the sanctuary of God. Live on his holy hill. Because he is the one whose walk is blameless. Who has done what is righteous who speaks the truth from his heart, who has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong, casts no slur on his fellow man. And it's us in Christ, in Jesus, that can then read Psalm 15 as our prayer. Because in Christ, our walk is blameless. In Christ, we're called to speak the truth from our hearts, have no slander on our tongues, do no wrong to our neighbor. The power of the love of Christ. Then in the gospel, God did not say, do this or else. God did it for us. And empowers us to be lovers of truth. On our own, we're not lovers of truth. We lie whenever it benefits us. We lie whenever it it suits us. We lie when it ever makes us look better before other men, other people. But in Christ, we're being conformed. We're being renewed. We're being changed. That new self is being conformed to the image of Christ. And the more that that happens, the more that we love the truth, the more we're transformed by the love of God in Christ Jesus, the more we come to love and embrace the truth. And not only live it, but speak it. Not only in our daily lives, but also online. May we as Christians who have been redeemed in the truth, Jesus Christ, love the truth as an expression of our love to God 
and our love to our neighbor. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have made us in your image. And we know that with that comes great responsibility. We know that in our tongue is the power of life and death. We pray, Lord, that through the power of the love of Jesus Christ that you've poured out on us in the Holy Spirit, we would be those who bring life with our words and not death. We would be those who would speak the truth in love, whether it be face to face or online. That we would know the importance of the truth not only in our lives, but in our speech. We would be those who guard the truth, uphold the truth. That we may love God and love our neighbor through what we say and do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.